college students hear a lot about, uh, you know, the advice to follow your passion. I think it's really hard sometimes at 21 or 31 or 41 to really know exactly what your passion is and how you're going to translate that into a career. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. So today's guest is Courtney Hagen, who's the chief talent officer for Little John, a private equity firm that invests in mid-market companies. So in this role, Courtney works with the companies in the firm's portfolio to acquire, coach, and develop high-performing talent. Previously, Courtney worked um, as a senior vice president of human resources for LVMH, and she worked across LVMH's portfolio of 70-plus luxury brands to create and execute strategic HR programs to support the talent needs uh, in North America. Courtney's also worked at PepsiCo. She's done uh, work earlier in her career um, in executive search and management consulting with a variety of different companies. Courtney's lived and worked in the U.S., Europe, and uh, South Africa. Uh, She did her undergraduate work at Wellesley College, which is probably about five miles from where I'm speaking right now or so Mm -hmm. uh, in in the Boston area, and an MBA from Columbia Business School. Courtney, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. So so tell us about what you do now. What's I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, it sounds really cool, chief talent officer, but what exactly is that? Uh, Tell us about your job. Great. Well, I'll start by telling you a little bit about the firm and and private equity in general. So as some of the folks who are listening may be aware, uh, private equity is a growing industry. A lot of companies um, have investments from private equity firms who are using uh, getting investor money um, to find ways to help those investors uh, make higher returns on their investments through purchasing companies and then working with those companies to increase their value to later go on and either sell those companies to strategic buyers or to other larger private equity firms or sometimes to help those companies go public. So my firm has been in business for 22 years and they hired me about a year and a half ago as their first chief talent officer, really focused on the idea that the people who lead the companies that we invest in are the best drivers of value and value creation for those companies. So I work with my investment partners on the companies that we own or are thinking about buying to ensure that we have the right leadership teams in place. Sometimes we're going out and finding uh, new leaders when, when we need to, if the company is going a different direction or needs a new skill set. We're also working to assess and evaluate the way the teams, the leadership teams are working together and then working with them to identify what kinds of 
development programs, strategies might they need to work better as a team, and also working with the CEOs and leadership teams to understand what their plans for growth are and do they have the right kinds of people with the right kinds of experience and skills and abilities to achieve those strategies to ensure that the investment thesis that, that we have made in our purchase of the company is going to be realized. So does each of these companies that your company invests in have their own chief talent officers or do you sort of oversee this process everywhere? It varies. Uh, there are definitely some of the companies, our companies range in size from a couple hundred million dollars in revenue to a billion dollars in revenue. And in our case, we tend to invest in companies that are in the industrial manufacturing or business services segment. So there are certainly some of our companies that have uh, very experienced heads of HR who, uh, who are very much an integrated part of the management leadership team. Other times, they, are, they may be more of a founder-led or founder-owned company that maybe hasn't had as much experience with uh, having a strategic HR partner in the in the human resources role. And so I will work with the CEO and with the leadership team to help to develop some new programs in some cases. Other times I'm really just partnering with an existing head of HR to help them identify how can they be even better. Um, we're looking across the portfolio and across these teams at best practices that exist that we can share. And sometimes I'm making advice or giving advice on how they can uh, how, how they can perform better based on the experience of others in our portfolio or experience that I bring to the table. Got it. Okay, so so that's that's really interesting. That's a really cool job. And when you were a uh, senior at Wellesley College, was this the job that you had in mind? What did you major in? What were you thinking? Let's, let's oh. sort of rewind and bring us back. <laughs> So I could never have predicted that this is what I was going to be doing. So I went to Wellesley and uh, just down the road and certainly know the Babson campus as well and, and love that part of the world. I majored in English and political science at Wellesley. And so double major. I, what I will say, that might be a little bit of an early indication that I've always had a pretty broad range of interests. Um, I, I have always played an instrument and i sang in the chorus and I worked on the newspaper and I've always had a lot of extracurricular and academic interests. So that kind of variety of things might've been a little bit predictive of the fact that I wanted to work with a lot of different kinds of companies. I've always enjoyed having multiple things to focus on. Uh, but in college, I, I thought I was going to go to law school. And so I, I studied English and political science. I ended up doing my junior year abroad at the London School of Economics. And it was during that time that my eyes were opened a bit to the idea that there could be other kinds of jobs out there in business that might be interesting for me to get experience in. So I had grown, I'm from the Midwest. Um, my father was a, a lawyer for the U.S. government. My mother taught drama. I had a very sort of public sector upbringing and didn't really know much about the private sector. And so at the London School of Economics, although I was studying politics, it had a, an extremely economic-focused uh, flavor to the subject matter. And I thought, you know, this might be interesting for me to learn uh, about how business works by going inside a business. Uh, I also happened to, while I was studying at the London School of Economics, meet the man that I eventually married, 
And so one of my other big motivators was to find a job that would let me come back to London after I graduated from Lovely. So when I went back on campus my senior year and started going through recruiting, I pretty much interviewed for any company that had a London office. <laughs> so I didn't, there wasn't really a much more of a plan than that. And I, I, but I did find, I knew I probably wasn't going to get a job in investment banking. But I started talking to management consulting firms and going to those presentations and realizing that that would be a really great way to learn more about business by being in projects with companies in a variety of different industries, working on a bunch of different kinds of problems. And that's how I chose to join uh, Renaissance Worldwide, which was based in Lincoln, Massachusetts, but had an office in London to which I transferred after about a year and a half with the firm. So you you took that first job hoping that they would uh, transfer her to London, but not with any certainty, right? No certainty. Yeah, it was a complete flyer. So I did uh, I, I did take a chance before my job started. I was able to go live in London and uh, work as a as a temp basically for about four or five months before before my real job started. So that that helped. But no, when I when I joined Renaissance, it was very much with the with the hope and the chance that I might get to move to London one day. And after a couple of different client projects, uh, that that wish came true. It's interesting how you know real life, personal life intersects with professional life. On this podcast, we're often talking, you know, for good reason about work and strategies for success and careers. But you know, personal things matter. You know, that in in fact, I wonder if. Sometimes I wonder if if having a focus, even if it's a personal focus, like I got to be in London or I got to get to London, actually helps narrow the field because how else do you make choices yeah. at that point? <laughs> it made a huge difference for me. I've got to say that um, it was also one of the reasons that I thought I might want to think twice about law school. My, my now husband uh, was going into a banking job, into a sales and trading job. And, yeah, you know, although we were only 20, 21 at the time, we were pretty serious about each other. And I knew that if we wanted to stay together, his job was most likely to take him to London, New York, Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Singapore. And it was going to be hard for me to craft a, a law school and then legal career that would uh, that, that would so easily go to those places, and so I thought, well, maybe if I if I open my mind up a little bit and think about other kinds of things I can do, um, I I might be able to find something that's a bit more flexible. And indeed, management consulting provided that to me. How did just just this is really interesting. Tell us just for a moment how you ended up at Wellesley College from the Midwest. What what attracted you to Wellesley College in particular? Well, I was born in Washington, D.C., and I moved to the Midwest when I was four, and both my parents are from Des Moines, but my parents have always been pretty cosmopolitan and international, exposing me and my brother to other cultures and uh, travel um, from a young age. And I remember talking to my mom about the college application process when I was in high school, and she said you really need to be thinking about going to the East Coast or the West Coast. You know, don't, don't go someplace where you have to come back to Des Moines for culture. Uh, you want to go someplace that has museums and uh, amazing libraries and performances and things that you can you know, really, really learn from outside college as well as inside. And so that's what prompted my, uh, my, my search. 
to um, to the East Coast. And as I looked at some big schools and some small schools, I really liked the feeling of smaller schools. I went to Wellesley, though, in some ways, despite the fact that it was women's college. I didn't think that was necessarily what I that I you know I definitely wanted a women's college. I thought I would probably end up at one of the other uh, small uh, you know, leading schools in the Northeast. And although I did get accepted to a, a couple of my top choices, I was just so struck by the people that I met at Wellesley and the strength of the women there, the intelligence, the confidence. And I knew that that was the sort of person I wanted to grow up to be. And so ultimately, that was really what drove my decision. And of course, the beautiful campus helped as well. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so let's then move on from, from your first job to where you are now. So if you yeah, can... tell us about your career journey, basically, from, from, your, from that first job to, to kind of where you are now. <laughs> okay. So when I joined Renaissance, I worked for them for about a year and a half in the US, moved over to London and had a really amazing uh, time in my international role as a consultant. I got to work with European clients. I lived in South Africa for about six months six months working for a bank um, as, a, as a consulting client there and was had a really fulfilling experience uh, having that international work so early in my career. We, uh, my, my still then boyfriend and I were living in London. I was working in South Africa. He was working in Singapore. Our mail was going to our apartment in London and he had the opportunity to move full time to Singapore. And I got my firm to agree to move me there as well. But the day that I went in to negotiate my expat package was the day my firm announced it was splitting into five pieces. And I came home and said, I don't think I can go to Singapore. Uh, I don't know the people there and I'm not sure how the role is going to work. And he came back two weeks later and said, how about New York? And I said, yeah, I could probably find a way to move to New York. So I moved with one of the uh, one of the pieces of our firm that was uh, that was uh, based in the U.S. and had an East Coast operation, and joined Bridge Strategy Group, uh, continuing to do management consulting, strategy, and growth work for a variety of clients in the consumer, industrial, and telecom industries. And it was during that time that I realized that if I wanted to advance my career, that going to business school would be a really good idea. I had studied. English and political science. I didn't really have um, any sort of exposure to accounting or to corporate finance and knew that I wanted to get some of that foundational experience in order to move forward in my career. So I chose to go to Columbia Business School. We were living in New York at the time. I entered Columbia's January program, uh, which goes straight through in about 18 months. And so I did not do a summer internship and studied through the summer instead. And um, when I came out of Columbia, I was interviewing for primarily marketing-oriented jobs and a little bit more of the consumer industry, which was always, uh, which was always my strong interest. I always loved consumer companies. And um, ended up choosing to go to American Express in a role that uh, really leveraged my experience as a consultant. I was uh, in the strategic alliances and co-brands group at American Express, which was responsible for developing partnerships with companies like JetBlue and like Costco uh, and Neiman Marcus, who had American Express cards. So we were working with those companies 
to develop the product and to win the business and to grow the product um, between American Express and those partner companies. So it was, I was there for a couple of years and um, really enjoyed the environment and the work at American Express. Was called by one of my old uh, management consulting partners to uh, help him found a company called Belden Partners, which was focused on helping professional services organizations do a better job developing people. And so the theory here was that in the last couple of decades of management consulting, the apprentice model that had been built on for, for so long had really started to uh, get squeezed. It's harder and harder for companies to invest the time in their young entry-level consultants that they need to come up the ramp, particularly if they're not one of the big four or five consulting firms. So we went in to work with smaller consulting organizations, both at firms and in um, and inside uh, the internal strategy groups within big companies to help with critical thinking and problem-solving skills to help consultants develop faster from being individual contributors who are doing spreadsheets and writing decks to being project leaders to being client leaders. In the course of that work, I was pitching a search firm, um, pitching a couple of different search firms with potential clients. And I didn't really know anything about executive search at the time. But as I was starting to talk to the search firms, I had a light bulb moment and realized, wait a minute, I think I would love search. And so I'm one of the, you hear a lot of search people who kind of fall into it. I'm one of the rare people who really intentionally thought about when I started meeting uh, with search firms and potential clients and realizing what they did. I realized that it drew on my skills as a management consultant, the work that I had done in consulting that I loved the most really got into how do you get an organization to deliver on the strategy that you create, that you devise? How do you make sure that that strategy is, is communicated to and executed by the organization? So I always love the people part of the strategy work most. And I also love client service. I love working with a variety of different companies to solve a bunch of different kinds of business problems. And I realized that solving business problems with people was always the thing that I had loved to do most in my career. And so I spoke to a number of different firms and really felt that the culture fit was extremely strong with Russell Reynolds Associates. So I joined the New York office of Russell Reynolds to work on searches in the consumer sector, uh, as well as to work on corporate officers, uh, heads of marketing and heads of HR. Wow. And I know we're not even done yet. So it sounds like you've... <laughs> Got quite a. I just want to. <laughs> I want to pause for a sec. It's a really interesting journey in in how you make sense of it too. Just one quick question about um, uh, getting an MBA. And I know a lot of students who you know are interested in business. You know, think about MBAs. You've done one. You actually came from a social science and even liberal arts background. Just, just what's what's your take on 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 the value of the MBA? What you got out of it? I, I, th- I think people might be interested in hearing that. So I got an MBA for a couple of reasons. One was that I felt that there was a you know, true academic grounding that I would benefit from. Um, and, and, and that was true. I really didn't know a lot about how companies are financed, how the banking system works, how the whole financial services system works, how those things uh, kind of fit together in, you know, in terms of truly how American and international enterprise 
uh, works uh, in, in a comprehensive system, systemic way. And so I wanted to learn that big picture as well as some of the detail uh, behind those decisions. It's one of the reasons I actually chose to go to Columbia versus a more case-based school because I felt that the case method, I, I had done a bit of that, quite a bit of that as in my six years as a management consultant. I actually wanted to go take a corporate accounting class, take a corporate finance class, understand what, you know, what, what do they mean by a turnaround? What do you mean by venture capital? What, is, you know, what are all these different ways that companies are founded and funded and grown? So for me, having solid classroom experience as a liberal arts and social sciences major was really important. The other thing that the other thing that I got from that experience was the benefit of my fellow students' experience, learning about what they had done, the kinds of jobs they had taken, what their roles were, what their what their companies did, what they did inside those companies. As it turns out, especially now in my recruiting and talent focused job, was invaluable. I have such a better understanding what a head of supply chain does because I actually went to school with some people who work in supply chain than I might have if I had just done this kind of purely, uh, you know, academic or, or even business setting. And the other thing that was really valuable for me, two more things. One thing was the network itself. I certainly uh, draw upon uh, my and, and enjoy my fellow alumni, the people that I went to Columbia with. Um, we have a pretty tight group. There were 180 of us who graduated in the January class. And uh, we actually just had a mini reunion last Friday um, and saw about 30 of my classmates um, together in New York City. So that was having access to and and continued interaction with that network has been fantastic. And then the other thing that's been really important for me in my, uh, you know, my professional life has been the, you know, really the pedigree that it helps uh, to get visit. There's a certain um, validity to the degree, I think, a respect that it gains when I'm sitting around a table with my investment partners who also all have undergraduate and graduate degrees from top schools, when I'm sitting and talking to the leadership teams at the companies that we're invested in, the MBA gives me credibility that I think, particularly in the human resources field, not everyone gets to benefit from. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting, and and, and I know that from from the um, from the uh, search firm, you 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 moved to LM. Uh, L, I'm sorry, uh, no, actually to PepsiCo. No, so my oh, first year, so when oh my I, I was yeah yeah no, which was a very significant part of my career as well. So I've had a lot of I I, uh, I don't know I'm, I'm I'm younger than I sound or something. I, uh, I I've had a lot of experience that has been really formative. Um, and one of the one of the key roles really was Pepsi. So I I joke that that was really the you know that was really my first time being part of an HR organization. So going into LV or to, to Russell Reynolds as a, a as an executive search consultant, that was a real light bulb moment where I realized, oh, I think this is going to be a, a a career that can really um, you know draw my strength. And be, um, you know, and be something that can be very successful and be really enjoyable. And I was actually then recruited to PepsiCo. And I got the phone call from a recruiter saying they were looking for someone to come in and help to build out the external executive talent acquisition function for Pepsi. Um, Pepsi historically does a fantastic job of growing people up from within. 
So they are very well known for their ability to hire right from campus and develop people throughout their careers. They are fantastic uh, at training, development, moving people around the organization. But back in 2010, when I joined Pepsi, uh, Indra Nui, who was the CEO at the time, had a, a very clear, somewhat controversial uh, strategy, which was to grow PepsiCo's other uh, product lines, particularly focused on nutrition um, and going kind of beyond just the, uh, the the snacks and beverages that everyone knows very well, the Fritos and Doritos and Pepsi and Mountain Dew, to looking at healthy options and really addressing the way that people need to live in the future. So the acquisition of Quaker Oats, the acquisition of Tropicana, uh, Gatorade, some of the more functional and healthier foods that are a part of the PepsiCo portfolio, um, including joint ventures like Sabrahama and, and other food and beverage products that were critical, I think, have been critical over these last 10 years to Pepsi's continued growth and success as consumer trends have been changing. That required going to different kinds of bringing in different kinds of talent, different kinds of executives than Pepsi had historically uh, homegrown. So when I joined PepsiCo, a lot of the focus was on bringing in talent from other kinds of businesses that we might not have uh, experience with before. So right before I joined, we brought in a head of R&D um, who came from the Mayo Clinic. Uh, when I joined, we brought in a head of the beverages group globally who came out of Activision. I helped to bring in the first chief design officer for Pepsi who we hired from 3M. So we were bringing in people with a really interesting variety of backgrounds, including a lot of people with strategy and consulting backgrounds as well, to help shape the future of the company. And so for me, that was really fulfilling, meaningful work. And it was also a great way to be a part of a big organization and learn about really top quality HR. Pepsi does an amazing job with the way that they do succession planning, uh, the way that they do talent analytics, um, the way that they plan for the future with their talent. So I, I learned a lot of outstanding first-class practices from my time at PepsiCo. Yeah, it sounds like that was a really... that was it, Actually, to be honest, it sounds like you're... And you got the credential at at Columbia, but you you picked up a lot at all these different stops. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the yeah the the credential at Columbia was foundational. It was really understanding kind of you know how business works and how you know how how enterprises make decisions. At Pepsi, I saw a lot about what you know how how does a successful company operate? What are the different uh, you know, the different levers, uh, you know, with a particular focus on talent, but beyond talent, what are the levers that are critically important? What are the, uh, what are the bumps in the road to avoid? How does a company continue to grow? How does a company change its strategy or add to a strategy um, and respond to changes in the marketplace and respond to changes in consumer demand? So it was a, 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 a really fantastic period of my career. And I'm very grateful for everything I learned at PepsiCo. I can't help but think as you're telling your story about the students, undergraduate students, MBA students too, come into my office and are very worried about their first job. And 
you tell them that your first job is not going to be your last job. And as I'm hearing your right. story, <laughs> you're a living proof of this, right? That you're, you're uh, my first career wasn't my last career. My first job wasn't my last job. And it's funny because I, I you know, I also, you know, I, I read people's resumes and interview them for a living, right? That's a, that's a lot of what I spend my time doing. And for me, the the number of different paths that you can take to be successful. I think that was also something that, that Pepsi helped to teach me as well, right? Seeing how how we were able to grow people internally, but then how we were also able to hire people from the outside and give them the kind of experience within the PepsiCo system to groom them to help lead a business unit or to be a CFO or to you know be a, a significant contributor in R&D. Just a number of different paths and ways. It's not just one path. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I see that. I see that. And so 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 in 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 we're we're almost. I, I guess we're at, are we at mile twenty of our, of right. our marathon. Of our marathon. <laughs> career marathon. Yeah. No, so it's, it's super. I, so, it's super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I was recruited out of PepsiCo. So I, I, as you can tell, I, I had a very fulfilling uh, time there and loved loved the work that I did. But I also knew that I was getting pretty narrowly uh, defined as a as a talent acquisition specialist, and I really wanted the opportunity to uh, spread my wings and to and to be a bit uh, broader in the talent space and HR. And while there, you know, Pepsi does it extremely well at my level, it was going to be difficult for me to expand um, into broader HR without a physical geographic relocation. And I was very much tied to New York. So when um, a, a former colleague of mine who was at LVMH called with uh, the opportunity to come there, it was really interesting for me because it had a lot of the uh, recruiting elements that I was strong in and that, that um, is obviously the, the background that I had from Pepsi and from Russell Reynolds. But it also allowed me to get much more um, involved in a broader set of HR issues, including things like employment branding for LVMH as a company in North America. So for your students who don't know, LVMH is Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. It is uh, one of the massive company based headquartered in France um, with 70 brands in the portfolio. Uh, including a lot of the fashion brands that people know and love, like Celine and Fendi and Givenchy. It includes beauty brands, uh, Dior, which is also one of the fashion brands, uh, Benefit Cosmetics, Makeup Forever, uh, and then it also owns Sephora, which is one of the reasons that it's such a powerhouse in the United States. Sephora is a huge part of LVMH's business in the U.S. We also own uh, own watch and jewelry brands like Bulgari and Tag Heuer, and uh, pretty much any champagne brand you can name, Dom Perignon, Krug, and Rustico, um, among them, the most famous, as well as Hennessy, of course. So the, having that variety of business models to work on, not only, not only businesses and brands, but working with pure retailers, working with companies that are completely vertically integrated, like, like Louis Vuitton, uh, working with companies that are only sold to distributors, working with uh, companies that are you know, manufacturing their own products in, in the U.S., companies that are distributing products that are manufactured uh, only in Europe. It was a, a fascinating variety of companies and brands and business problems to work on. Uh, and, my, and my role was focused on the U.S. talent at the corporate level. So how do we 
grow and develop people in different brands and in different parts of the business and help them help to develop their careers by moving them to different uh, groups and roles within the company, as well as finding talent from the outside to bring in the kinds of skill sets and experiences that we need uh, within the U.S. And, and, and you were there for how long? And, and then... In, I was there for about three years. Three years. And then I you... Was, tra- then yeah, you I, yeah. Yeah. And then I made the transition to, uh, to, to Little John, um, which is a, not quite as big a leap, perhaps, as it sounds. But in some ways, that role at LVMH had a lot of elements of a private equity firm. So I was reporting to the parent company, to the holding company. Uh, based in France. And a lot of what we were doing was managing our portfolio of talent. And so when the opportunity came within Little John to come into a private equity firm where I could really have a much more direct impact on the companies that we own, as opposed to more of a, of a managed by influence uh, impact, which, is, which was the way that the LVMH role was structured, that was what was really most interesting to me. So the level of interaction that I have every single day with the CEOs and the boards of directors of the companies that are in the LV, that are in Little John portfolio are really, you know, those are the reasons why I came here. So you you have such tremendous experience in your own career, but you're also sort of at the nexus of a lot of other people's careers. <laughs> you must I think you've got a really good sort of perch to to um, make some comments on on Maybe you know misconceptions you think college students have entering the work workforce. So if you could rewind and think back to mm-hmm. college and, and 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 even just sort of what you see out there now, what what misconceptions do you think college students have? I think one of the misconceptions that college students have is something that we discussed earlier that that, that your first job is going to make or break you. It it can be an amazing experience. It can be something that um, you know sets you on a course. For uh, you know, for, for the rest of your career, but it can also be a place that you go in with an attitude that okay, I'm going to come in, I'm going to learn something, I'm going to make connections, and I may decide that it's not exactly the right fit for me. It's very difficult to determine that when you're coming out of school and you haven't really worked in a place before, and if you don't really have a sense yet for, am I going to be happier and more successful in a small company or a big company? What kind of culture? Is going to be the one where I where I am the most successful and where I can really flourish. I think that college students hear a lot about uh, you know the advice to follow your passion. I think it's really hard sometimes at 21 or 31 or 41 to really know exactly what your passion is and how you're going to translate that into a career. For me, as I, I talk about my light bulb moment when I started pitching to search firms as potential clients for my consulting business, that was when I first thought, oh, wait a minute, I think there's something here. And I was well into my 30s at that point. I am grateful that I was open-minded enough to, uh, to, to make a career change at that point, to say, I, I'm ready to come in. A lot of people enter search in their 20s and build up their careers that way. I entered later and, and have had a lot of success partly because I was very clear about what I was targeting and what I wanted to learn from the experience and why I thought I would like it. But I was doing that based on prior professional experience. I don't think that I would have had the same success if I had gone into search in my 20s. Are there certain... So so your career, it seems like it's, you know, some twists and turns and sort of smart 
thinking about when to leap, what to leap towards? Are there certain questions you think that people should ask themselves at various sort of pivot points during their career? I think that one of the most important questions that people need to ask themselves and that people don't spend enough time on is the what of what you're going to do. So I think there's a lot of attention paid to where, right? What company should I go to? Where am I going to be the happiest? What's the brand that I like? You know, who's on the most admired companies? Who's on the best places to work list? All that. I think those are great questions to ask and great topics to research and to understand that you can go to a company that you think hits all of your criteria. It's the job that you're doing in that company day in and day out doesn't involve the things, the activities that you like to do most, or even worse, if it involves things that you really don't like to do, then you're not going to be happy there. It's not going to be the right fit for you. So I think that it's really important for people and, and college students can do this. You can do this at any point in your career, but really to ask yourself, you know, what is it that you love to do? Do you like to write? Do you like to read? Do you like to do research? Do you like to talk to people? Do you like to be in meetings? Do you like to work alone? Do you like to work with people? What is it that you like to do? And then really thinking about the jobs that you're interested in and the jobs that you're looking for, the roles, not just the companies, but the roles of those companies. What are the roles that are going to let you do the things every day you know, when you get there in the morning, keeping you engaged after lunch and all the way through to the end of the day and sometimes on evenings and weekends? What are the activities you're going to do that are going to get you energized and excited. And as, a, as someone coming out of you know, a couple of jobs or of, out of business school, or how about for someone who's you know, just leaving college, maybe has done an internship or two, but doesn't actually know what those roles... I think it's a great question, but doesn't know what those roles entail. Is it, how would you find out like, what a job, what you actually do on a job? <laughs> well, that's where I think that the, the collegiate re- research skills come in really handy, right? That's where you can go and you can read the Glassdoor reviews, read about people's interviews and what were they asked in the interviews. That can give you some insight into what are the kinds of jobs that they're going to do. That's really also where I think you can use your, your school's network. And I definitely advise talking to people who are very recent graduates, people who are doing those roles. Don't necessarily call the person who's the CEO of the company. Don't necessarily call the person who's the, uh, you know, the chief financial officer. But if you want to know what does a financial planning and analysis manager do, ask the financial planning and analysis manager. And if it's somebody who you have some kind of connection to, whether it's from your school or from your hometown or a friend of a friend, and you know, that's really where the 15-minute phone call, please, can I just ask you a little bit about your job? If they have a connection to you and they're a recent grad, they're probably likely to, to be much more open and inclined to do that if you're just asking them to tell you about their job. I think those of us who are in um, roles where we, where we are on LinkedIn all the time and, and get uh, you know speak at conferences and meet people um, find it tough to do the networking as a lot of the times when people call us up to network, it's really with the intention of, can you get me a job? Um, and and a lot of the times the answer is no, I really can't. But if you're calling me to ask me, what does a recruiter do? I'm much more likely to take that call and tell you about it and help you learn if, I, if that's really your intention. If you just want to know what, you know, what do you do all day? Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, I, I think a lot of college students would love to know the answers to those questions. One, one last question for you, and this has been so interesting to hear about your career and your advice. 
Was there anything from college, actually? You know, you studied, you, you went to a liberal arts college, a small college. Uh, you, I think you, did you say you majored in political science and English? Was that right? Yeah. What, if anything, from those days actually sticks with you, whether it's a, a, a way of thinking, specific skills, anything? Probably the most important skill that I think a great liberal arts education gives you is the ability to think critically and the ability to question a hypothesis, to then figure out how, you know, how are you going to create a hypothesis and then prove it or disprove it? How are you going to question somebody else's theory? So what are the critical things that you need to, uh, to, to know and to do and to go find out to prove whether something is right or wrong? And that is a skill that it's very difficult to teach once somebody is in the role. And that was actually one of the things that my, uh, my, my consulting firm that was focused on professional development was really trying to help people do is get some of those critical thinking skills that they may not have nurtured as much in their formal education. But to me, the more opportunities that you have in college to, to develop and practice critical thinking, the more valuable that will be to your future career. And those translate into, you know, into what? Like, what's, can you just give a quick example? And I know I'm yeah, I need to put I, you on the spot, but like an example. No, so, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. So it's when, um, when I'm sitting with a, uh, a deal team at, in my current role, for instance, and they're saying, um, you know, we think we should hire this CEO because they have, you know, XYZ experience. And I say to them, okay, well, how do you think XYZ experience is going to translate into company ABC? Why is that relevant here? Why wouldn't we look for somebody who has this other kind of experience? Why would we discount this other candidate that we might be considering who brings a different set of experience who might be additive instead of something that's exactly like what this company already does? What makes us think that the fact that they've done this in one place is going to translate exactly here? So it's, it's just knowing how to structure the questions and how to how to go about getting those answers and the multiple routes that you can take to do that. Yeah, I can see a lot of applications for that. Um, so that's that's mm-hmm. good news for those liberal arts students out there. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So, so- the, oh, the other piece of advice I would give, by the way, the other thing I take away from college that, that, I, that I will say, and I, I, I don't speak to as many groups of college students now as I used to in a couple of my roles at, at Pepsi and LVMH, but when I do, I always tell people, get your international experience early. Get it as early as you can. If you can find a company that will let you go abroad as part of your uh, as part of your rotational experience in your first couple of years, you can find a place that's open to you working on international projects. International experience is so important to so many companies. And it's something that... you know, I've lived in New York for 20 years. But the fact that I have worked internationally in my past gives me a, a an understanding, an open mind, and a level of credibility when I'm dealing with international colleagues that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't had those couple of years in my 20s living in a couple of different cultures. I fully agree with you. I, my, my career path is similar. I went abroad in college. I then uh, worked abroad early in my career as well. So and it served me well. It's, it's influenced my career in a tremendous way. So I fully, Absolutely. fully, I'm fully on board with that. So thank you so much. Yeah, and if you uh, do it early, nobody can, nobody can take it away from you. Do it, 
it's when also, you're young and then if you can't, you can't move later. You, exactly. Well, I, when you have a family and you're a little, it's, it's right. much easier to do when you're younger, for sure. Much easier to do when you're young and single. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. This has been great. I really appreciate it. If people are interested in, in just, I don't know, learning about you or your, or your company, is there a place they can go or? Um, I am most active on LinkedIn. So, so you can, they can look me up on LinkedIn and our, we have a website, uh, littledonllc.com to learn about the company. And I'm Courtney Hagen on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening.